Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, New Spring. How are you doing today? Doing good? Hey, I'm so excited to be a part of this series, The Unexpected Jesus, leading up to Easter. I cannot believe that next weekend is going to be Easter as time moves so fast. But uh, this series has been so much fun. We've been talking about the life and the work of Jesus Christ and how he breaks expectations and how he always surprises us. And I'm so happy to be a part of this series. Um, You guys know I love stories. Uh, The other day, I was reading a story the other day about... uh, about a lady who was visiting Hollywood for the first time, and uh, she was just celebrity crazy. Do you ever meet someone who's just celebrity crazy? Like maybe you're sitting next to them, I don't know. Uh, but uh, this lady was just celebrity crazy. She was visiting Hollywood, and uh, she was on a mission. I mean, she was not going to leave LA without getting her picture taken with somebody famous. And so she had a plan. I mean, she was gonna go everywhere where she thought she could find somebody. She went to Beverly Hills, she went to Studio City, I mean, she camped out in celebrity hotspots like a hunter in a deer blind, all right? And, but she had no luck. She just could not find anybody famous. And so she went back to her hotel at the end of the trip, just feeling like a total failure. And on the last day, she was walking out of the hotel with her bags. And, uh, you know, the bellhop was putting her bags in the taxi because it was, her, it was time to leave Hollywood. And she noticed that standing right next to her, was this very, uh, this very nice-looking middle-aged gentleman. He had a nice sweater on, and he, uh, he had a chiseled jaw, sort of had this silver fox thing going on. And he was so nice. You know, he was smiling at her. And she just felt the need to kind of open up to him a little bit about her trip. And so she said, you know what? You just don't see movie stars in Hollywood anymore. And what she didn't realize was the guy that she just said that to was the most famous actor who ever lived. It was Cary Grant. She had no idea. Now, in case you're sitting out there and you're wondering who Cary Grant is, from the 1930s until the 1960s, this man owned the world, okay? I mean, imagine Tom Hanks plus Bradley Cooper plus Johnny Depp plus Brad Pitt plus George Clooney all rolled into one man. That was Cary Grant. And, uh, you know, he's still the most famous actor who ever lived. And as you can imagine, he thought this was hilarious. And so he plays along. He decides he's not going to tell her who he is. And so, you know, when she tells him, you just don't see movie stars in Hollywood anymore, he just takes her hand and he smiles at her. And he says, you know what, lady, you're right. You know, you really don't see movie stars in Hollywood anymore. It's been a while since I've seen one. And I always laugh at that story because... She was on a hunt for movie stars, and yet she had no idea about the superstar who was standing right in front of her. And, you you know, when I think about 2021 America, there's one thing that does break my heart. And that is, I think just like that lady was searching desperately for movie stars, but she couldn't see the superstar right in front of her, there's a lot of people out there today who are desperately searching for Jesus. And they desperately want what he has to offer, but right when he's standing right there in front of them, for some reason they just don't recognize who he is. And that's a tough place to be in. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are desperately looking for truth. 
There's a lot of people out there who are desperately looking for forgiveness, and they're looking for unconditional love, and they're looking for a God who's not just some impersonal force in the sky, but a God who knows their name and knows their story and cares about their life. And Jesus is all of those things and so much more. He is truth. He gives, he, he gives unconditional love. He forgives. He changes people's lives. And it's, that's why it's so, it's so hard to see when Jesus is standing right there and there's people who don't know who he is. But that lines up with what it says in John chapter 1. It says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. What this verse is saying is, for some, for, for some reason, for a lot of people, it's almost as if Jesus is in disguise. It's almost as if he looks different to them than what he is. How terrible would it be to miss out on Jesus simply because you don't recognize him? Whatever you do, don't miss him. Don't miss him. Don't miss out on Jesus. You know, today is Palm Sunday. And every Palm Sunday, it's tradition to preach about the crucifixion in the last few days of Jesus' life. And whenever I open the Bible and I read the story of the crucifixion, there's one thing that really stands out to me. And that is, there's a huge difference between the people who recognize who Jesus is and they know who he is and the people who don't recognize who Jesus is. The people who do recognize who Jesus is, when he rides into town, they put palm branches down, they, they celebrate him, they call him the Messiah, they call him King, they call him Lord. But the people who don't recognize who Jesus is, they call him a liar and a traitor and a blasphemer and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they put him on a cross. Why the difference? The million dollar question is why didn't everybody see him the same way? And this is what God has really laid on my heart this week. And that is this. I believe the same things that blinded a lot of people to who Jesus was back then are a lot of the same things that blind people to who Jesus is today. And a lot of the same things that open people's eyes to who Jesus was back then are a lot of the same things that open people's eyes today. And so it's worthwhile to explore why, why, it's, why it's important that people see who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to do today. And... Um, Today, if it's all right with you, I just want to walk us through the story of the last few days of Jesus' life. We're going to walk through the story of the trials and the crucifixion. And I want you to pay close attention to some important characters in this story who do not understand who Jesus is. But at the very end, I want to talk to you about one guy who did get it, and he did see who Jesus is. And we're going to contrast the two because it's extremely important that we do so. Here's the thing, I don't know about you, but all I want is for everybody to see Jesus for who he is and get to know him. That's all I want. That is all I want. And because he's just so good, you know? He's just so good. And I don't want anyone to miss him. So that's why we're gonna do this. So let's start at the beginning of the story. I wanna take you back to the very first Palm Sunday. So it's 2,000 years ago. And a party is happening. The city of Jerusalem is going crazy, but not in a bad kind of crazy way, in a good way because the entire city has heard that Jesus is riding into town. And one thing you need to know is, not long before this, Jesus raised a guy from the dead named Lazarus. And the word got out, because it's kind of special when a guy who's dead is no longer dead. It doesn't happen every day. And so the city of Jerusalem, they, they get excited. They want to go meet the guy who can raise the dead. And on top of that, people have heard that Jesus can make blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk. And so the entire city wants to go out and meet this man. And they're having a party. I mean, they're putting palm branches on the ground. And they're even, a lot of them are even taking off their garments and putting them on the ground in front of Jesus. That was, that was what you did for a king. You only do that for a king. And the people were celebrating him. 
but not everybody is participating in the parade. There are, there are some guys, the Pharisees, who were the religious teachers of their day. And, and on this particular day, they are not happy. They are not happy at all. They're kind of standing, everybody's excited, but they're kind of standing off in the corner like this with their arms crossed. They don't feel so good about it. And the reason why they don't feel good about that day is because they don't believe in Jesus. And the reason why they don't believe in Jesus is because religion has blinded them to who Jesus is. They have no idea who Jesus is. So everybody else is going crazy and they're just standing off to the side like this. As I tell this story, we're gonna walk through four reasons why people are blinded to who Jesus is. And this is the first one. And the first one is religion. This is number one, number one on the list. The Pharisees are perfect examples of what happens when people get so caught up in systematized religion that the truth doesn't really matter anymore. Have you ever seen this happen? It's like religion takes over and the truth can take a back seat. You know, religion is people's idea of what God is like. The Bible is God's idea of what God is like. And sometimes you have to choose between the two. Because here's the thing, if you get caught up in man-made ideas of what God is like, God will always look different than what he actually is. He will always look different. And this was the Pharisees' problem, is they looked at God through the glasses of religion. And because of that, they had a jaded view of God and they taught other people to have a jaded view of God. And that's a bad thing. And so when the Pharisees see Jesus riding into town, they're not happy about it because they don't think Jesus is the son of God. Their religion has blinded them. Have you ever been in a religious system where you feel like you're getting a very distorted view of who God is? It's a difficult place to be in. It's a difficult place. You know, this is kind of a, this is kind of a random, random story, but um, uh, years ago, my wife, Elle, who was then my girlfriend, and I were visiting Six Flags. And uh, I'm kind of a coaster junkie. Like, I'll, I'll ride just about anything. I don't like those slingshot rides because I don't want my entire life to be, you know, on, uh, dependent on two cords or something like that. That's just dangerous, okay? It's not me. But as long as I'm strapped into something, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. And I want to ride it like 30 times in a row, okay? Not just once, not just twice. Let's do this until we throw up. That's me. And my wife, Elle, is a little more like, you know, a little more sane, uh, and so she doesn't want to ride it that many times. And so she and I are at Six Flags, and I want to ride this coaster for like the 30th time that day. And she's like, you know what, babe? You go ride it, and I'll meet you at the entrance, all right? I'll meet you back at the entrance area. You go, you do you, and I do me, okay? So I go do that, and then I, I just, you know, I'm done riding the roller coaster, and I come back to the entrance area because that's where I'm supposed to meet Elle. And I see her off in the distance a little bit, and she's got her back turned to me, so I, I can't see her face, but I decide I'm gonna do something romantic. I'm gonna kind of run up behind her and sort of surprise her, you know? And I'm just gonna kind of like put my arm around her because that's romantic. You know, guys, we're always trying to look for some kind of opportunity to do something like that. And so I, you know, I make a plan, I'm gonna run up behind her, put my arm around her, and that's exactly what I do. And, you know, I walk, I walk with her a few steps, but then I notice there's another girl that's standing about 20 feet away in front of me, and she's laughing at me. And she's bending over laughing, and she's pointing to me, and I realized it was Elle. And I thought to myself, if that's Elle, then who do I have my arm around? And I turned to look at the terrified face of a girl who had the same hair color as Elle, was dressed the same way, same height, but it was not Elle. And 
you ever read someone's expression a little bit and you can kind of tell what they're trying to say to you just with their face? She was giving me this look like, I know this was a mistake and I know you're confused, but I'm thinking just a little bit about tasing you right now. <laughs> and this was Texas. And I know sometimes down there they shoot before they tase. So I was like, you know, get me out of here. And I, I felt so bad. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Elle will never let me live that down, ever. Like if you, if you ask Elle, is Stephen a good husband? She's, she's probably gonna be like, well, yeah, when he's not picking up women at Six Flags. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing. In my defense, she looked like L, and she seemed like L, and everything made me think it was L. But when I got really close, it was not L. And here's the thing. This is a weird analogy. But I think one of the reasons why people get caught up in religion is what's being presented to them, it looks like God, it sounds like God, it seems like God, it seems like what you're looking for. But when you get up close and personal with that religious system and you get a chance to see it up close, you realize really quick, that's not God. I don't know what that is, but that ain't him, you know, and, and that's the thing. People run into that. They see that all the time. And may, and and I know we all have a different story. We all have a different background, but I think all of us have sort of had that moment before and it's difficult. And the problem is the Pharisees give people a false picture of who God is. And they, they feel threatened by Jesus because Jesus actually shows people who God is. The Pharisees don't like that. And so when everybody is celebrating Jesus and calling him king, the Pharisees get mad and they say this. This is crazy. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But I love this. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's Jesus' way of saying, I'm in charge here, not you. Your religious system is failing. I came here to dismantle it and give people the real view of who God is. And that makes the Pharisees' heads explode. They can't take it. They just can't process the fact that they're standing in front of the Son of God. And so not long after that, the Pharisees decide they're going to kill Jesus. And they're going to they're try to find some kind of plan to kill him. How, how is it that religion can blind us this much? But I think, I think it happens every day. I think it's so easy to see Jesus through the glasses of religion. And if you see him through the glasses of religion, he's not going to look quite right. And that was the Pharisees' problem. Well, as I said, the Pharisees decided they were going to kill Jesus, but they can't kill Jesus unless they arrest him. And they can't arrest him unless somebody betrays Jesus. And unfortunately, there was a willing guy who was willing to betray Jesus, and that was Judas, one of the disciples. And Judas goes to the Pharisees and says, hey, I'll hand Jesus over to you if I get my payday, if I get my money. So the Pharisees pay him 30 pieces of silver. And Judas, one night, betrays Jesus because he leads all the Pharisees and the soldiers. He leads them to the Mount of Olives to arrest Jesus. And Jesus gets taken away. And this is what you need to know. Jesus had been telling the disciples for a while that he's gonna get arrested and that he's gonna die on a cross, but he, three days later, he will rise from the grave. But the, the disciples, they just don't understand it. The, the, it's, it's, it's beyond their comprehension that this would happen. So when Jesus does get arrested, it, it, they just can't believe what's happening and so they all scatter. So now Jesus is all by himself with the bad guys. The, the bad guys have taken him away. The Pharisees, the soldiers, they've taken him away and Jesus ends up having three trials. He has a trial before the Pharisees, he has a trial before Herod, and then he has a trial before Pilate. In the first trial, things already got off to a bad start. 
because the Pharisees see this as their chance to get back at Jesus, and so they put him on trial. But it's a kangaroo court. Have you ever seen the kangaroo court where the, 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 the verdict seems to be predetermined before the trial even begins? That's exactly what happened here, because it says this. It says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. It was rigged. The whole system was rigged. But it gets worse. It gets worse because the chief priest... He asks Jesus the question. He says, are you the Messiah? Are you a king? And Jesus cannot tell a lie. He tells them the truth. He says, you say that I am a king. In fact, someday you will see me sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds. That is Jesus' way of saying, I might be standing before you today, but someday you will stand before me. That's what Jesus is saying. And the Pharisees can't handle it. Because again, they're blind, they're blind, they can't see, they can't handle it. And so they tear their clothes and they call Jesus a liar. They say, you're a liar, you're a traitor, you're a blasphemer. And it gets worse because it says the Pharisees, this is insane. They spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? I think that all of us can agree at this point that these guys have crossed the line. They have crossed the line. And it's not just religion that has blinded them. Because, by the way, when they decided to try to get false testimony against Jesus, that breaks their own religious rules. So this goes farther than religion. These guys are blinded by pure pride. These guys are blinded by pure pride. Pride is the second reason that a lot of people can't see who Jesus is. And I think we should dig deep into the psychology of the Pharisees for just one second. Why did their pride take control? Their pride took control because they thought Jesus was trying to take something from them. They thought Jesus was trying to upstage them or steal their thunder. And so they they felt like they had to take Jesus down a notch to put themselves up a notch. But this is what's crazy. If the Pharisees would have put aside their pride for two seconds, they would have realized that Jesus wanted to give them so much more than he wanted to take away from them. There's so many people in my life that I love very much, but I think they've decided that God is actually trying, is God is actually out to get them when actually all he wants to do is help. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I've let pride get the best of me and I see God as someone who's trying to crash the party. I see him as someone who's trying to take me down when the fact is all he wants to do is build me up. All he wants to do is help me work on the issues in my life. That's all he wants to do. You know, Uh, There's a story that my dad loves to tell about a lady who was pulling out of a grocery store parking lot late at night. And uh, as she was pulling out of the parking lot, another car turned their lights on and started to follow her. And at first she thought, hey, it could just be a coincidence. But when she got out on the road, when she turned right, the car behind her turned right. When she turned left, the car behind her turned left. And so she really starts freaking out. So she goes all the way up to 100 on the highway. Well, this car all goes all the way up to 100 on the highway. And wherever she goes, this car is on her tail. And so she decides her life is in jeopardy. So she rushes down the exit ramp and she finds this gas station that's right off the highway. She pulls into the gas station parking lot. She, gets, she opens the door and she runs inside that gas station like her life depends on it. But when she looks back, At her car, something crazy happens. She sees the the car that had been chasing her this whole time. It also pulls into the gas station parking lot. And the guy who was chasing her gets out of his car and goes over to her car and opens the backseat door and pulls a guy out. 
and he starts beating the daylights out of that guy. And what she didn't realize was the guy was chasing her to save her life because he had seen a serial rapist get into her car in the grocery store parking lot and he was chasing her because he wanted to save her from that guy. There's so many times where God is chasing us and he's after us and we think that he's out to get us, but really all he wants to do is save your life. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. He doesn't want to hurt. He only wants to save. And if you feel like God is chasing you today, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you feel like God is right on your tail and everywhere you go, he goes and you feel like even no matter what I do, you feel like God is constantly sending you an invitation and constantly poking and prodding you. Praise God for that. He's not trying to hurt. He only wants to help. He's not trying to bring you down. He only wants to save you. Don't, 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 don't take that the wrong way. If God is chasing you, let him catch up with you because he's got a lot of good work he wants to do in your life right now. And that's the thing. Pride makes us think that God is after us or trying to take something from from us when nothing could be further from the truth. And these Pharisees, they think that Jesus is trying to steal their thunder and all he wants to do. You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying for these guys just as much as everybody else. And they didn't see it, but Jesus was paying for their sin. And even if right now, maybe you'd say, I don't like God very much. Well, he likes you. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let pride get in the way. Well, after, after this phony trial happens, Jesus is on his way to another phony trial because the Pharisees decide they can't get permission to execute Jesus unless they go to somebody who has power. So they go to the Roman governor, Pilate, and uh, the Roman governor says, well, where's Jesus from? And they say, well, he's from Galilee. And Pilate says, well, that's not my jurisdiction. I'm handing him off. And so he delegates. Pilate says, go see Herod. This was, this was a bad decision. Herod is basically the Charlie Sheen of the Bible, all right? Herod does not care, okay? Herod is all about Herod. Herod just wants to do crazy stuff all day. He's not even a legitimate king. He calls himself the king of the Jews. He wasn't even Jewish. He was an Idumean, but he thinks he's big stuff. And the Romans, the Romans put Herod and his family in charge because they knew they were such an embarrassment that he wouldn't be a threat. That's who Herod was. He spent all of his time goofing off and didn't really care about being king. His motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. That was Herod's motto. So when Jesus shows up in his courtroom, if you can call it a courtroom, uh, Herod is jumping up and down excited. Oh, he's happy. He's so happy because, this is crazy, because Herod finds Jesus entertaining. Herod thinks Jesus is going to put a show on for him because Herod, so many people have told Herod, hey, he can do miracles. And Herod thinks, oh, wow, maybe he'll do a miracle for me. Maybe he'll put on a show for me. He just doesn't care. It's all a show to him. But when Jesus gets let in there, Herod peppers Jesus with a lot of questions. And they must have been really dumb questions because Jesus doesn't even answer. He doesn't even dignify Herod with an answer. And right after that, Herod decides to do this. It says this. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Basically, at this point, Herod is trying to, he's pulling a joke. He says, oh, you think you're a king. You think you're the Messiah. Well, put a purple robe on him. He's the king. Everybody bow down to King Jesus. King Jesus, everybody. It's all a joke. It's all a show. You want to know the third thing that can keep people from seeing who Jesus is? Carelessness. Pure carelessness. 
That was Herod's problem because to him, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, you know, to Herod, it was like all this stuff about God and where I'm going when I die and all this stuff, it can wait. I've got all the time in the world. You know what? I can joke around as much as I want. You know, we live in a culture today where everybody who has the microphone is basically a Herod. The idea is, you know what? What you believe doesn't really matter. Don't take it too seriously and just wing it. That's the, I feel like that's the spiritual message of America right now. Just wing it. Look, when it comes to knowing who God is and knowing that you have a relationship with him and knowing where you're going when you die, please do not just wing it. Please do not just wing it. It's not a joke. Take it very seriously. And you know, here's the thing. This is the reason why I say that. When you and I, when we pass from this life to the next, we are pushing all the chips to the middle of the table to bet all the chips that what we believe is 100% correct. You are placing the bet of your lifetime. And whatever you believe in, you're trusting it to catch you. You know, death is the, is the biggest trust fall you will ever make. Um, when I was in elementary school, I was at this camp where they had us do the trust fall exercise. I hate that exercise. You know, because you fall backward and, and someone's supposed to catch you. And my best friend was assigned to me. And he was supposed to be the one to catch me, right? And I, you know, I just don't like it. And so I start to fall back, but I always do this number. You know, I always catch myself back a little bit. And he was offended. He said, we've been friends all this time. We've been best buds and you don't trust me to catch you. And I said, well, I trust you, but not that much. Here's the thing. Death is the biggest trust fall you will ever make, ever. And you better be trusting something true to catch you. You better trust, you better trust in the Lord because he's the only one who's going to catch you. I don't know about you, but Jesus Christ is the only one who has proven that he can catch me when I make that big trust fall. You want to know why? He is the only spiritual leader in the history of the world who isn't dead right now. He is alive. He is alive. And because he is alive, because he lives, I know that he is the only one who is qualified to take my hand and someday guide me beyond this mysterious curtain that all of us must someday pass through. He is the only one qualified to do that. Don't trust your eternity with anybody or anything else. Please, don't do that. Take it seriously. It's a serious matter. It's a serious matter. Don't be careless. And I know when, you know, for young people especially, there's this feeling like I have all the time in the world. You, I, I hope you live to be 130, but I don't know that you have all the time in the world. Please invite Jesus into your life because you don't know, I don't know how much time I have. I could have 50 years. I could have five minutes. I don't know. Don't be careless. And maybe you'd say, Stephen, I don't think I can do that because my spirituality is sort of a mishmash. You know, I get a little bit from here and a little bit from there. I get a sprinkle of this and a sprinkle of that. Look, let's just, let's just do a hypothetical for a second. Let's just say that you're in a building that's burning down and you got like two minutes to get out. And I know that according to fire code, there should be at least two exits in the building. But let's just say that this building only has one exit. But you can't find the exit sign. So you start panicking and finally you find the owner of the building and you ask him, look, where's the exit? I've been looking everywhere and I can't find it. We only got two minutes. Please just tell me where it is. And let's just say that the owner said, well, the exit could be down this hallway or it could be down that hallway or it could be up the stairs or it could be down the stairs. But here's the thing, you will find it if you go where you feel. 
my guess is you would look at that guy and say, you, sir, are a legitimate nut. But that is 2021 spirituality. It's like the building's burning down, but hey, just go where you feel the exit could be here. It could be there. It could be there. It could be there. No, it's only in one place. Only Jesus. Only, only Jesus. Here's the thing. It's a serious matter. It's a serious matter. Don't, don't be careless. Don't be careless. Well, the story continues. Because after Herod gets his laugh, he hands Jesus back over to Pilate because he doesn't want to have to make a real decision. And Pilate is the Roman governor. And this is what I got to tell you about Pilate. Part of me kind of likes Pilate because Pilate is more fair-minded than everybody else that Jesus interacts with in this story. Pilate is the Roman governor, so he's educated. He's kind of the university type. He probably has a few degrees. And he knows a lot. But also, Pilate does not like injustice very much. And so when the Pharisees bring Jesus to his doorstep and they say, hey, you must crucify Jesus, Pilate says, not so fast. Not so fast. And Pilate actually wants to have a conversation with Jesus. He actually wants to talk to him. And Jesus actually talks back to him. Unlike Herod, Jesus actually has a conversation with them. And Pilate basically says, look, the people who brought you to me, they say that you're falsely claiming to be a king. They're saying you're a revolutionary. Can you, can you talk to me? Are you a king? Are, are you a king? And Jesus gives him an answer. He says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus is having a conversation with them and they're talking. Because, and this is, this is what I think is interesting. I think Jesus senses that Pilate has some potential. Pilate's got potential because he doesn't want to crucify Jesus. In fact, when the Pharisees keep screaming over and over again, crucify him, Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this man. I think he's innocent. He should be let go. I have no idea why you want to crucify an innocent man. That's how Pilate feels. And actually his wife even comes to him and says, I had a dream about that man last night. Don't touch him. He's innocent. Don't touch him. And so Pilate is fair-minded, but Pilate is also on the fence. He's on the fence. And Jesus, I think, senses this. And so Jesus does something with Pilate he doesn't do with anybody else. He actually gives him a little bit of a gospel message. He actually preaches to him a little bit. Jesus, because Jesus says this. He says, you say that I am a king. This is so good. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus, in a way, is giving him an invitation saying, hey, I was born to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is sort of giving him a little bit of gospel. There's an opportunity here. There's something he could do. He's so close. And Pilate is a fair-minded man. Oh, I don't know how many people out there are, they're so smart and they're fair-minded and they're asking good questions and they're curious and they come so close. And part of you just wants to pull them over that line and say, please. And that's how Jesus feels about Pilate. But I think Pilate considers Jesus' argument, but suddenly his mind kind of closes a little bit. Don't you hate to see that? Someone comes so close. And then Pilate says this, well, what is truth? That's Pilate's way of saying, look, nobody can know. I mean, you know, what, what is truth? Truth could be, you, you could be speaking the truth, somebody else could be speaking the truth, I don't know. And unfortunately, Pilate hands Jesus over to the Pharisees eventually, and he is indeed crucified because Pilate 
was on the fence. He was a classic case of someone on the fence. And the, the, t- the tough part is I like Pilate. I kind of like him. He seems like a fair-minded guy. And it's such a shame that he came so close. When I think about Pilate, I think about the word almost. Please, whatever you do, don't almost come to Jesus. Don't almost come to Jesus. Don't, don't be so close and yet not make that decision. Don't just dip your toes in the water and pull them back out. Jump in. Jump in, please. You know, uh, here's the fourth thing that can blind people to who Jesus is, and that's indecision. That's indecision. Whatever you do, don't let indecision have control over your destiny as a Christian. Don't let indecision control your destiny. You know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are, we are in a situation today where so many people are on the fence, but don't live on the fence. Don't live on the fence. Well, this is what happens. I better close up because I don't have a lot of time left. Actually, I have no time left. But um, Pilate, as I said, hands Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And the Roman soldiers, they nail nails into his hands and his feet. And for six hours, Jesus hangs on the cross, losing his life so that he could give us life. And he's on the cross. But here's the cool part. The story's not over. Because on Jesus' left and on Jesus' right are two thieves. These guys deserve to be on the cross. And one of them is mercilessly mocking Jesus and making fun of him and saying, oh, you're the Messiah. Well, in that case, save yourself and save us while you're at it. He's just making fun of Jesus. But there's another thief. There's another guy. And I love this guy. He's great. He's a thief, but this is, what, this is what happens. I think this is so cool. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man here hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. This guy could see, he could see. When so many other people couldn't see, he could see. And you know what I find interesting? The Pharisees, Herod, Pilate, these were the rich and powerful. These were the people who had the world on a string. Anything they wanted, they could have, and yet they had nothing because they didn't have Jesus. But this man, he was at the bottom of society. He was a thief. He was convicted. He was sentenced to die. He was a criminal. He, nobody wanted to be around this man, and yet he was the richest man in the world because he had Jesus, and he believed in Jesus, and he knew who Jesus was. And here's the thing, why could he see when so many other people couldn't see? Well, let's think about what we've been talking about today. Let's, let's, start, with that. let's, let's start with that first point, religion. This guy didn't look at Jesus through the glasses of religion. He wasn't even welcome in religion. They would have told him to go away at the door. He was never welcome in religion. And so a long time ago, this guy figured out that he would never measure up to the standards of religion anyway. So he wasn't looking at Jesus through the glasses of religion. Let's talk about pride. It's hard to have pride when you're hanging on a cross and you know you deserve to be there. He doesn't have a shred of pride in his body. And I know that because he tells the other thief, he says, look, we deserve to be here. You know, that's a humble statement. That's a statement of humility saying, look, I own up to the fact that I've made some bad choices and I own up to the fact that I deserve to be here. He's humble. He doesn't look at Jesus through the glasses of pride. He can take those glasses off. And then carelessness, 
He doesn't have carelessness because he takes the matter very seriously. He knows his time is short. He knows he doesn't have forever. He knows that he is on the verge of crossing from this world to the next. So he takes the matter extremely seriously. And I know that because when the other thief is being a jerk, this guy, he says, look, don't you fear God? That's his way of saying, look, we are on the cross. Our time is short. And this man right here, he's done nothing wrong. And I believe in him and I take him seriously. You ought to take him seriously too, because I do. I believe in him. No, this man isn't careless. He takes the matter very seriously. And then finally, this man has made his choice. There is no indecision in this man's mind. When he realizes that Jesus is the son of God and that he is the Messiah and that, you know, you know this guy was listening when Jesus was hanging on a cross and he forgave the people who put him on the cross. This guy was listening when Jesus said, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. The thief heard that and he said, anybody who can do that, he must be Lord. And he said, you know what? I've made my choice. I'm, I'm not gonna just be on the fence my whole life. I'm not just gonna be here and there and I'm not gonna be like Pilate saying, what is truth? No, I know what the truth is. He wasn't going to stay on the fence. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Basically, this thief was saying, look, I'm a, I'm a broken person. I don't, I, I don't deserve anything. I deserve to be on this cross. But you know what, Jesus, I know you have a kingdom coming. And I know that that kingdom will be coming soon. And please let me be a part of it. Please just let me be a small part of it. Don't, don't, don't pass me by. Jesus, please don't pass me by. That's what this thief said. And you know what, Jesus responded. He said, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I, I don't have this on videotape, but I think that when this thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I think Jesus smiled because I think he was so happy to see somebody who got it when other people didn't even get it. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Jesus walked into heaven after paying for the sins of the world, he had his arm around a thief and a murderer. And he said, hey, we have a new face here. I wanna introduce you all to my new friend who knew who I was. Here's the thing, anybody can come to Christ. Whatever you do, don't look at Jesus through the glasses of religion. Don't look at him through the glasses of pride. Don't look at him through the glasses of carelessness and please don't look at him through the glasses of indecision. Please invite him into your life. Please invite him into your life. Let's pray really quick. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for, thank you so much for showing us this story of the thief on the cross. And Father, I pray that you would give us his spirit of humility. I pray that you would remind us that we need you so much. And Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for seeing us in our condition and not just letting us waste away, but giving us hope. Thank you so much for that. With every head still bowed and with every eye still closed, I cannot end this without giving you an invitation. If you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, you're talking right to me and, and I feel like that thief. I know I've done wrong things and I know I've messed up, but I, I've made my choice. I know who Jesus is and I wanna invite him into my life. Please do not wait. Please do not delay. Please don't put it on your calendar for another time. Please bring him into your life because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And Please do not leave this room without making that choice. If that's you and you want to make that decision, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And these are not magic words. These are just calling out to God saying, yes, I want you in my life. And you can pray this out loud or you can pray this silently in your heart. Either one. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I know that I've done wrong things. I know that I've messed up. But I believe you love me. 
I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I believe that he arose from the grave. Please come into my heart, forgive me, and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just made that decision, we don't want you to leave here without a gift. This box, it says, for your new walk with God, there's a Bible in it and there's a lot of other resources for you. There's a book that my dad wrote about salvation and a lot of other things. We want you to have this. If you want this, just text PRAY to 97000 and we will get this to you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.